growing up, my family didn't watch sports other than figure skating and gymnastics and anything Olympic that was aired during prime time. But every once in a while, I might see a few minutes of a football game at a friend or a relative's house or watching the Super Bowl. And I remember seeing people hold large signs that just said, John 3.16. I always assumed that that passage had something to do with winning a game or some kind of athletic pursuit, which seemed nice, but not particularly applicable to me. Although my family and I were very active in church, I wasn't a kid who just picked up the Bible to read until I had to for classes in college and seminary. But at some point, it occurred to me that I should look up this John 3.16 because it seemed to be a thing people knew. And if I was going to be a minister type, I should probably know it too. Well, imagine my surprise upon reading the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. My brain could not process what on earth this had to do with cheering at a football game. It felt almost like a secret code that you had to be on the inside to understand, like it was a secret communication between people in the know, right? Like an eagle lands at midnight kind of thing. I didn't get that people were holding the signs trying to share the good news of Jesus with the world. And so that left me wondering how effective that strategy really was. In popular understanding, this text is often read as a warning to those who do not believe. But when we read it that way, we miss the actual call embedded in it, and we seek to restrict and confine what is meant to be expansive. This passage is part of a larger story in which Nicodemus, a Pharisee or Jewish leader, comes to Jesus in the night to talk to him, a.k.a. he secretly comes to talk to Jesus in the night when no one else would see him. Scripture says that Nicodemus begins to speak, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old. Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus goes on to talk about being born of water and spirit, which I have to imagine is a bit confusing to Nicodemus, just as it is to many of us. And Jesus moves from this dialogue with Nicodemus into the passage we read today, where he's trying to teach Nicodemus to bring him into understanding, to help him claim himself as a follower and a believer. Jesus is clear that being a follower is something you do in plain sight, not something to be hidden. And then in believing in Jesus and being saved, having your life and the communal life of the world transformed, well, that's open to everyone. Professor Sarah Heinrich gives an alternative translation for verse 16. She writes it this way, this is the way God loved the world, with the result that God gave his only son in order that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. She goes on to say, 
This verse is not about how much God loved the world. It is about in what way God loved the world. The single most important thing to notice about this verse is that God loved the world. God deeply loved the world that God created, and God longs for this creation to live. It is the cosmos that God has loved precisely by having given the only Son. Friends, that is good news. God deeply loves the whole world and is willing to find new ways to demonstrate that love. That's not some secret code. That's meant to be shared with context and conversation with everyone. But it's also good news that has implications for how we live. Scholar Samuel Cruz talks about the narrow view that is often taken of this text, a more romanticized version, so to speak. He writes, the romanticizing I am referring to is a somewhat simplistic view that God gave Jesus to come to earth to save it with love and literally by sacrificing his body without attempting to rid the world of evil, but by magically saving people who believed in him. He goes on to say, it is therefore necessary to ask some pertinent questions of him and or this gospel lesson. What does believing in Jesus mean? Why did Jesus need to come into the world? Was it because of sin? If indeed Jesus came to the world to save it from sin, what kind of sin? For John, sin seems to be concrete and structural. That is, injustice, hate, lack of mercy, etc., rather than individualistic. Now, y'all know when I start quoting the scholars, I'm really digging in to the text. The way God loved the world, which was a world God created and loved all of, was to send God's Son to point out and get us to fix the problems we have created in it. Injustice, hatred, lack of mercy, just to name a few. This son is not one who's cool with us being neutral or apathetic on these topics. Jesus demands that we step into our most courageous and bold selves and start pushing back with our voices and our bodies and our pocketbooks and anything else at our disposal on the sinful ideologies, systems, and ways of the world that we live in. Jesus tells Nicodemus that he has to be born again because he wants Nicodemus to let go of all the old baggage and privilege that he knew and be ready, as yet another scholar writes, to receive the world on completely new terms. The terms that God set out the beginning and that Jesus keeps reminding people about. Let us create them in our image, male and female in our image. Love the foreigner in your land. Bring the little children unto me. Let the one without sin cast the first stone. Those are the terms which create God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Yes, John 3.16 can bring us warm fuzzies. God loves us, really loves us, and that is amazing. It's incredible. What wondrous love is this? that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul we just sung in the hymn. But we cannot forget 
that Jesus speaks these words because we are people in a long line of people who have messed up the world God created. We're being called out here in a way that only someone who really loves us can do. We can't hide from God the wrong that we've done and that we've knowingly or unknowingly participated in. God sees it. God knows it. God doesn't fall for the ways we try to cover up the ugliest bits of ourselves and our lives. There's no Instagram filter that God can't see through. And yet, and yet, God still loves us. And Jesus invites us to look at our lives and make different decisions, to act in different ways to repent, to apologize, and then move on as new people. That's why we live through Lent every year. That's why we have a prayer of confession in our service every week. We're going to keep messing up. That's what we do. But God's love is so expansive that there is still room for us right there in the middle of it. This week has marked the one-year anniversary of when we all started shutting down. When we started to understand that COVID was here in the U.S. and in Ohio, and we started doing things to try to stop the spread. I don't know about you, but it's been a painful anniversary for me to reflect on. There was so much that we didn't know or understand about what the future, future would hold. Things like, we now host drive through communion because we haven't gathered in a year, a whole entire year, for worship together. And we've had to learn how to experience the sacrament virtually. I'm not even sure Jesus saw that one coming. This past Sunday, we had a drive through communion on what was the one-year anniversary of the last time we met together for in-person worship on a Sunday morning. I got to church early as I do on those days, and I was actively pushing down all the feelings in order to get through the day. And then one of the cars that drove through was a minivan that held the entire Bush family, Peter and Nikki, Caroline, who is two and a half, and Charlotte, who made a point of telling me that she is five. Pete said to me, Lindsay, Charlotte has a joke she's been really wanting to tell you. Well, I've been sending postcards to kids and youth in the congregation with dumb jokes that really crack me up. Things like, why are frogs always so happy? They eat whatever bugs them. That's, maybe Jason's going to add that sound in later. I don't know. I'm laughing. I think it's funny, but I'm not clear anybody else does. But that's the kind of joke I was getting ready for when I made my way over to Charlotte's side of the car. Okay, Charlotte, I can't wait to hear your joke. Pastor Lindsay, why did God cross the road? Um, I don't know. Why did God cross the road? To share more love. At which point a joy bubble exploded from my chest, which is a reaction one might have when a prophet has spoken to them. Charlotte, can I use that joke in my sermon on Sunday? 
because it's amazing, and everybody needs to hear it. Yes, Pastor Lindsay, you may. Friends, God crosses the road again and again to share more love, to show us the ways that we can share more love. May our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds be open to this love and this transformation. Amen.